Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Now, the biggest, the newest, the most exciting of all the Planet of the Apes pictures. The most awesome, the most horrifying spectacle in the annals of science fiction. In Conquest of the Planet of the Apes, this was a movie made in 1972, imagining a simian revolt in 1991. The story begins not with humans and apes, but with cats and dogs and a virus. As Ricardo Montalban's sympathetic human character explains here, to Roddy McDowell's Caesar the Ape. Six years ago, every dog and cat in the world. It was like a plague. That led to... Humans wanting little household pets to replace the ones they had lost. And then when people realized... In the movie, it was not just the virus itself that caused panic, but the fear of the pet virus jumping to and infecting humans. While the movie, of course, is fiction, the fear is not. Zoonosis, the jumping of diseases, particularly of viruses, from one animal species to another, and in particular to humans, that part is not only based on sound scientific knowledge, it's a reality of history. Ako po si Robbie Alampay, and in this special explainer episode, in partnership with the Earth Journalism Network and Internews, we're diving into the science of zoonosis, zoonotic diseases, and its great role in shaping our new normal. We've heard it in the news, we've read about it in the papers. Many sources are saying COVID-19 started in a wet market. But what does that mean? We spoke with an expert on wildlife, zoonosis, and biodiversity to know more. I'm Dr. Teresa Sison Lim. I'm the executive director of the ASEAN Center for Biodiversity. I used to be the bureau director of the Protected Areas and Wildlife Bureau, now the Biodiversity Management Bureau. I'm a veterinarian by profession, specializing on wild animal management disease. Dr. Lim, what does zoonosis mean? And what does a zoonotic disease mean? What it means in simple terms, it's a disease that can be transmitted from animals to humans. Now, obviously, we're talking about these topics, zoonosis and zoonotic diseases, because of covid this is not a new phenomenon in human history, is it? No, no, no. When I was still in school, we already had the veterinary public health as a subject, and it already discussed zoonotic diseases. And this includes rabies. Rabies is a zoonosis because it comes from animals and then it can be transmitted from the dog through bites to humans. So that's already an example of a zoonotic disease, and it has existed for a long time. 
time. The Spanish flu, which is something that we've been hearing a lot about these days, also is said to have come from birds as well. Then we had the bubonic plague. It was transmitted by rats to humans. In the case of COVID, how and why do we take a close look at Wuhan in China? Wuhan has been known to market different species of animals. So it's not your common livestock. There are exotic animals that are being sold in that market. So the theory is that the virus may have come from any of those animals that are being sold in that market. I don't know if you've heard about the theory of the COVID coming from bats and then maybe going through the pangolin where mm-hmm. there's the genetic similarity of the bat virus with that of the SARS-CoV-2 is above 90%. In the post-apocalyptic horror film, 28 Days Later, chimps infected with rage spread a virus through their blood and saliva. This causes a global zombie pandemic. Once again, obviously that's fiction. But this does go to a basic point about zoonotic diseases. Dr. Lim points out that typically, animals suffering from a disease or exhibiting signs of infection are often just carriers. They're not the cause nor origin of the disease. After all, they too are suffering. Here's a basic example from the real world. Rabies. No, rabies does not come from dogs. So it couldn't have come from dogs, they said, because dogs also get affected. They get sick of it and they die. It's also a disease. But the main suspect are bats as well. Because it has been found that the virus is found in bats. And they don't die from it. In this example, Dr. Lim describes dogs as just carriers of the disease because natural hosts are asymptomatic or immune to the pathogens that cause these diseases. Doc, how do species-specific diseases become zoonotic in the sense that how do they jump to humans? Is it direct or is it indirect? There are cases where there is direct transmission that immediately jumps from animals to humans. But then there are also cases where the virus evolves because there's an opportunity to get into contact with a similar virus within Mm. a different animal. Dr. Lim uses Nipah virus as an example. That's a respiratory disease infecting humans that can cause an inflammation in the brain. The virus natural host is a bat. But the virus spreads to humans by coming into close contact with pigs. What they discovered is that certain bats carry the disease, but it's not infectious directly to humans. It has to go through another animal, which is called the mixing vessel of that virus. And then the pig feeds on the feces, fecal matter of the bats, and that's how they get the disease and then it becomes more infectious. They found out that the reason why it was infecting large swine farms 
was because they were setting up the farms underneath roosting areas of bats. The fruits that the bats ate were contaminated and then the pigs would eat them and then the pigs suddenly contracted the disease and then it was eventually the opportunity to transmit to humans. Are zoonotic diseases by definition viral diseases? No, not necessarily viral. The key element is really the transmission from animals to humans. So it could be viral, it could be bacterial. So like tuberculosis, it's a mycobacterium, so it's not a virus. Salmonella is a bacteria and it can be transmitted from chicken, from eggs. It causes salmonellosis in humans. Doc, so far yung mga binabanggit natin na diseases, no? herpes bubonic plague, rabies. I know you mentioned tuberculosis. And tuberculosis comes from where? We have tuberculosis that comes from cattle. We also have human tuberculosis. And we have tuberculosis in monkeys. And they can be transmitted across those species. Okay, now I ask because, like I said, tuberculosis, bubonic plague, herpes, Ebola, and so on. Parang everything ang babigat pakinggan. But I think you were starting from a basic premise that zoonotic diseases are all around us. Here's the point of my question. Lahat ng binanggit natin na diseases so far, talaga nakakatakot. Grabe ang impact. And even the symptoms that we associate with them, they frighten us. But are there diseases that are so common and probably even mild right now, that we take them for granted when, in fact, they are ultimately zoonotic in origin as well. Yeah, uh, there's the cat scratch disease. It's always been there. Cats don't have signs that they have it. But if you get scratched by a cat with that organism, that bacteria, Bartonella, you get a headache, fever, but it's usually not fatal. So we've established that while zoonosis is all around us, not all of these diseases are deadly nor necessarily pathogenic to humans. But let's get back to the planet of the apes. How far-fetched is that scenario of a zoonotic disease that becomes a crisis starting from our much-beloved cats and dogs? At the moment, that's still far-fetched to me. So far, some of these diseases are manageable, the ones that I mentioned. But be prepared in the future of certain diseases like what we are experiencing now. A disease like rabies, for example, can still be controlled. Not all microbes that cause zoonosis is as infectious as what we are experiencing now. is as infectious as COVID-19. If it's direct transmission, there are still ways to control it. The example you mentioned is still, as of now, still science fiction. But it doesn't mean that we would not experience that in the far future if we are not able to manage what we are experiencing right now with this current outbreak. Doc, is there any particular example that jumps out at you of a time in history that illustrates this nexus uh, between diseases and animals and then jumping to humans? Actually, the most important factor in managing zoonotic diseases is the interaction between humans and animals. 
there's an increasing percentage of diseases that are infectious or emerging infectious diseases. Around 75% of emerging infectious diseases now are considered zoonotic. It really has something to do with incidents or occurrences that allow these disturbances to happen on the environment. If you destroy the habitats of wild animals, if you poach them, those are opportunities where viruses can now evolve into something else that's more infectious, that's more pathogenic. And I think when we plan in the future to manage or to prevent pandemics such as COVID-19, we should start to factor in the environment as well. Besides the environment, do cultural practices in certain countries contribute to the creation of these zoonotic diseases? For example, when we hear Ebola, we think of Africa. When we hear COVID-19, we think of Wuhan, China. But the WHO recently emphasized that places and cultures from which these diseases originate are not necessarily to be blamed. In fact, these diseases, the WHO says, are created by accident, and the interactions that brought them about could have, in fact, easily taken place anywhere else. As I mentioned, the characteristic of the virus, it requires certain conditions so that it eventually would evolve into something infectious. It's like a Russian relay, in a way, but it has another characteristic that allows it to bind, to better bind with a certain receptor in the human cell. So when they sort of met each other or got into contact, they mutated, they evolved into something that can now be as infectious as the bat virus and at the same time can easily attach to the human cell. I see. You're pointing out, in other words, that a lot of species will not necessarily, certainly not naturally, intermingle. But then you have... For example, these markets where you artificially bring in all of these species together. As those are themselves artificial commingling of species. And again, you bring out an artificial interaction of species that otherwise would not take place. And yet every time we have these episodes, and obviously COVID is the most recent, if not the most extreme by certain definitions. You had the Spanish flu, the bubonic plague, Ebola. Every time these happen, as far as you can perceive it, what has changed? Have any of these changed human history? Have they changed society? What should they have compelled us to do, but we didn't necessarily do? We should have already learned from how some of these diseases evolved. It's just that it didn't affect us in this scale. South Korea, the reason why they were able to manage it quickly because they were affected by SARS in the recent past. And what we don't want to happen is that we forget easily what our learnings are. So it's important to to realize that this can happen anytime. And we need to be reminded of this all the time because our efforts have not been consistent. Right now, we're just grappling to find the vaccines the cure, when it could have been anticipated years ago. Other issues just come up and then it gets buried under those. Yung Ebola reston strain, those were laboratory animals. The decision quite easily was, let's euthanize uh, that limited batch of animals. 
But what's the reality? Can we just keep reacting and responding as if we can box ourselves in or be a more extreme reaction, just cull the infected animals out of our lives? The environment element has largely been neglected in the planning. The role of wild animals always has to be factored in in the disease transmission. So that's why we have One Health. Because what happens is the only time that we do something about it is when our lives are already impacted, which is sometimes late. So we need to already be more observant of our environment. We need to take a look at other species as our indicators before it even reaches the tipping point. What does it mean? I mean, every farm needs a researcher. What will that look like? Beyond policies, what will that look like in terms of how we should be structuring households? How should we be structuring factories? How should we be designing and living in our communities, in our society? For example, when we tried to manage avian influenza, one of the agreements that we had with the Bureau of Animal Industry was to monitor the poultry farms. And as much as possible, if we established poultry farm or a piggery, it would be away from watering areas from where the wild birds are. If we can identify certain habitats that can contain the wildlife and protect them there, then it's already some of the actions that we can actually undertake. A good land use plan is actually contributing to prevention as well because then you know where your green areas are. When you do your planning for your poultry farm, for example, or your piggery, then you don't put them underneath uh, bat roosting areas. Even now, as you know, we don't have a land use act. That's because we need to be able to mainstream. It cannot be the responsibility of one sector. It's a cross-sectoral issue. The developer should also be able to recognize the importance of what I've just been saying, of protecting protected areas, of keeping certain areas like wetland protected within the urban setting. We need to involve all sectors. This has to be translated into something that developers will understand, the infrastructure industry needs to understand. We have started before when I was still with government and even now in the ASEAN where one of our programs is mainstreaming biodiversity into various development centers, including agriculture. We're trying to do that coordinating at the regional level with the agricultural pillar, for example. Eventually, it would have to be translated to their own constituencies. But Mm -hmm. first, you need policymakers to understand and to see the value of Mm -hmm. that to their own sector. What about us, people in media, journalists, storytellers? How can we do better on tracking this relationship between humans and not just animals, but the environment all around them? Journalists can help in disseminating accurate information to emphasize the relationships and interlinkages of emerging diseases or zoonotic diseases and responsible stewardship of nature and biological diversity. If more people and policymakers are able to fully understand this through effective information campaign with the full engagement of our Philippine journalists, we hope that eventually the environment, nature, and biodiversity 
will become an integral consideration in our everyday planning and decision making, including whether or not to sell, buy, or patronize illegally collected and traded wildlife. When you say that we should have known, do you literally mean that things could have been prevented? Or looking forward, do you literally believe that we can prevent another zoonotic outbreak? Or do you think that, sa totoo lang, we may just have to accept that from time to time, may mangyayaring ganito? Well, we can prevent it eh, because we haven't tried factoring in the environment in all our plants. I think that's the issue. Maybe if we do that this time, then we can prevent it. But if we take it for granted, then this is always going to happen. There will always be the incidences where we will be encountering such a pandemic. in a nutshell, here's what we need to learn about zoonotic diseases. One, COVID-19 is a form of a zoonotic disease, which means that the virus was transmitted from animals to humans. Two, there is no escaping zoonosis. It's all around us. Not all are deadly. Not all are pathogenic to humans. And so this current pandemic is just one of the many zoonotic diseases that have shaped human history. With human activity affecting and degrading the environment, our contact points with wildlife and with animals that we otherwise would not have any contact with, diseases mild and serious have spread from animals to humans. Like Dr. Lim, many experts are saying the same thing. The only way to overcome this is to include the environment in all levels of planning whether it's for agriculture, urban planning, governance, protecting and preserving the environment and its wildlife is a shared responsibility between all agencies. As we look to the future, instead of just preparing for the new normal, let's build towards a new and better normal. Once again, ako po si Robbie Alampay. Don't forget to subscribe to Puma Podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, Anchor, Stitcher. You can also follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. This podcast was brought to you by Puma Podcast and our friends at the Earth Journalism Network and Internews. This episode was produced by Raja Aisha, George Ampil, and Macy Hoven was edited by Nina Toralba. up what was that boring no flavor that was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week kiki palmer here and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free hello fresh jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. now that's music to my mouth hello fresh let's get this dinner party started discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com